0: So it's John sixteen one to 33. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me and because I'm going to the father. They kept asking what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more and after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming where I will no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, "Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to ask any ask anyone ask you." Sorry. That you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming, and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world.
1: Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Living Lord and God, we praise you that you have not remained silent, but that you have spoken to us, making yourself clearly known. We thank you, Lord, that by your word and your spirit, we can hear you speak to us today as we read the scriptures. We pray, Lord, for open ears to hear you, open minds to understand you, and open hearts to respond to you in faith and obedience. And this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, who is at your side. Amen. One thing that you would never expect the Lord Jesus to say is that we are better off without him. And yet that is exactly what he says right here in this passage, in verse 7. Have a look at it. It is for your good that I, go, I am going away, he says. You know, what an extraordinary thing for Jesus to say that somehow it is to our advantage that he is not here. How can that possibly be true? Uh, It's surprising that Jesus would somehow ever say this to his followers, to his disciples. But it's even more surprising that Jesus would say this to his followers now. Uh, If you've been with us kind of throughout this series, uh, then you'll know that this very night, the Lord Jesus begins his journey back to the Father, a journey that is long and dark and dangerous, a journey that includes the agony of crucifixion as well as the joy of resurrection before finally completing his journey by sending to his Father's side. But the disciples are clearly not ready for life after Jesus. They still so desperately need Him. Uh, in this passage alone, as we read it, it's hard not to see just how confused they still are about Jesus and, and the purpose of what He is doing. It's very clear, I think, in the almost comical conversation in the middle of the chapter. They need Jesus' help just to understand who He is and what He's doing. But they also need Jesus' help because of what they are about to face. Last week, as Lindsay helped us to see, no servant is greater than their master. The world will treat the followers of Jesus just as they treated Jesus. And so just as Jesus was hated and persecuted and even now is about to be crucified, so too we were warned last week. The followers of Jesus will be hated and persecuted, thrown out of synagogues, even killed by those who think they're offering a service to God. So how can Jesus turn around now and say that, that somehow we are, we are better off without him? Now is when they need him the most. And where does, what does that kind of mean for us as disciples of Jesus as well? And yet it is a measure of Jesus' love for his disciples. That even as he faces the journey he must take, he still takes the time to comfort his disciples and to care for them. And so Jesus gives them and us three reasons why life after Jesus will be better. Uh, Three reasons, are coming up on on the screen now for those of you who uh, like to take notes or at least like to know when I'm going to finish uh, but three three things, three reasons why uh, it is to our advantage that he goes. One, because Jesus will send the Holy Spirit. Two, because Jesus will give us direct access to God the Father. And three, because Jesus will overcome the world. And it'd be great for you to keep your Bibles open to John chapter 16, where we'll be today. And uh, we'll take each of these things in turn. But first with him, the disciples of Jesus are better off without him because then Jesus will send the Holy Spirit. Come with me to verse 7, pick it up there. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. Now that's a a pretty complicated little paragraph, isn't it? There's lots of ideas that are are going on there. And I don't know kind of what emotions it stirs in you as you you read it, but the, the, the emotion it really stirs in me is relief. Great relief, as a matter of fact. Whatever it is that Jesus is talking about here, it's not my responsibility. Instead, it's the responsibility of the advocate, which has been Jesus' way of talking about the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Truth, as He calls Him in a few verses time. Uh, Which is good, because I am wholly unqualified to do any of these things. Uh, The world, you will remember is Jesus' way of describing those who are opposed to him in John's Gospel. It is the hostile world, uh, the the enemies of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not qualified to prove to the world anything. I'm not qualified to prove to the world that they are far more sinful than they think. I'm not qualified to prove to the world that the standard of righteousness is much higher than they think. And I'm certainly not qualified to prove that the judgment of God is much closer than they think. I'm not qualified to do any of these things. And I suspect if if you're honest, uh, you don't feel qualified to do these things either. Jesus did all of those things. And he did them brilliantly. Jesus exposed the sin of the world like a, a light shining in the darkness. Jesus revealed the standard of God's righteousness because he was the first one who ever lived up to it. He was the first one who ever embodied the absolute purity and holiness that God demands. And even now, as the world in its darkness reaches out to condemn Jesus and to crucify him, it is the final proof that the judgment of God is coming upon them. As Jesus had said many times, if they had truly known God the Father, then they would have known him as well. And their rejection of Jesus is the the final proof that the judgment of God is coming upon them. So isn't it good that Jesus is sending someone else to do all these things? That must have been a great relief to those 11 disciples gathered there, listening to him teach. Just as I think it's a great relief to us, here and now. Now does this mean we just kind of get to kind of wash our hands of the, of the whole thing and, and not worry about it? And not quite, not quite. Uh, there are plenty of places where we're told in the scriptures and even plenty of places in this very conversation that Jesus has with his disciples that remind us that we have a role in testifying to Jesus. And But this reminder does take the pressure off Uh, Yes, we do have a responsibility to to proclaim Christ. Uh, We have a role uh, to do so lovingly and graciously, to do so frequently and even urgently. And even in that, Jesus promises help to his 11 disciples. Even just in the next few verses, verses 12 to 15, uh, he tells them it's the Holy Spirit that will lead them into all the truth. No, they're not ready yet to fully understand what it is that Jesus is doing. The whole divine plan, it's just too much for their grief-stricken minds. But the Holy Spirit will reveal all of God's magnificent plan to them when they are ready. And it is then that they will see just why it is necessary that Jesus suffer and die and go. And then they will be able to communicate that gospel plan to the whole of the world. Just like we who have received the testimony of these 11 disciples can communicate the whole gospel plan. But neither they nor we are responsible for the way that people respond to that testimony. We have a responsibility to tell it, We have a responsibility to pass on what we have learned. But how people respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself tells us that's the responsibility of the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And this, by the way, has been a a very strong theme in John's Gospel. Uh, My son Archie's favourite Bible story is the story of Nicodemus back in in John chapter 3. And that too is the responsibility of a Colin Buchanan song. But as early as John chapter 3, Jesus has made it very clear that no one can see the kingdom of God that he is bringing unless they are born again of God's Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit has done his convicting and his convincing work, no one can understand who Jesus is or what he has come to do. And so this is a huge relief to me and I hope it is to you as well to know that the Holy Spirit even now is doing this work. You know, if it was up to me, if somehow I felt responsible every time someone rejected Jesus after I'd spoken to them, the weight of it would crush me. I'd never be able to sleep at night. But to know that the Holy Spirit is at work, that's a great relief. It works the other way around as well, of course. Uh, Nor should I ever grow proud when I speak of Jesus and someone does respond. The glory for the growth of God's kingdom never belongs to us servants, but it always belongs to God and what He is doing by His Spirit and through His Son. But you know what? Perhaps it is better that Jesus goes if He's going to send us such a helper. As the Holy Spirit is to us. But Jesus keeps going. There's more. There is a second reason why we are better off without Jesus. Because by going, Jesus will also give us direct access to God the Father. Now, in verses 16 and 17 and 18, it's very clear that the disciples still do, are deeply confused about what Jesus is doing and where he is going. Uh, They do not understand all this talk of going to the Father, even though Jesus has been talking about it for two and a half chapters by now. Uh, Jesus even comments upon their lack of understanding in in verse 19. Uh, Have a look there. He says, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. But your grief will turn to joy. Now, at the time, I'm not sure that these comments of Jesus would have shed much light on the matter, but with the benefit of hindsight and of course the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit that was just promised, these comments from Jesus they're not quite as cryptic as they seem. Now we know that by this time tomorrow night, the disciples would be grieving, weeping over the death of the Lord Jesus. And we know that in that moment, the world rejoiced. The enemies of Jesus were delighted to see him die. But we also know that the disciples' grief would soon turn to joy because Good Friday is followed by Easter Day, the day of resurrection. Jesus would rise again and the grief of the disciples would turn to joy, a joy that Jesus says in verse 22 no one will ever take away. And the story that John tells about the days that follow, well, they follow his prediction here perfectly. And in chapter 20, when the disciples do see Jesus risen from the dead, they are overjoyed to see him. But Jesus wants the disciples to appreciate just how good it is for them that he completes this journey to God the Father that now, because of the journey that Jesus is taking, He will give them direct access to the Father. And so Jesus passes on to them an invitation to ask the Father for things, in verse 23, uh, to pray to the Father. So, verse 23, In that day you will no longer ask anything, ask me anything, Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. You know, when the day of resurrection comes, says Jesus, part of the joy that you will have is that you will have free access to my Father in heaven. You won't be asking me for anything anymore up until now. That's what you've done. But after I've returned to the Father, I'm not here in the flesh anymore. After you have received the Holy Spirit, you will speak directly to God the Father. You will ask Him for things in my name and He will hear you and He will answer. And Jesus even goes so far as to say that when they do that, they'll receive what they ask for. And that is a, a remarkable promise I think if we truly understood what Jesus is actually promising us here, uh, then we would be filled with joy, no matter our circumstances. And we would certainly take advantage of our new situation far more than any of us ever do. In fact, this is very similar to a promise that Jesus has made earlier on several occasions. Uh, It's back in, if you want to look it up later, it's back in chapter 14 verses 13 and 14, chapter 15 verse 7 and again in 15 verse 16. And both there and here, it's vitally important to grasp just how critical that phrase, in Jesus' name, is. Because this isn't just some thoughtless promise from Jesus that his disciples can ask for absolutely anything and God will deliver it. Uh, Sort of like somehow this is an online shopping spree with no limit whatsoever, someone else's credit card. And nor are these sort of magic words to be ritualistically invoked every time we pray, which somehow guarantee that God will say yes to our prayers. Instead, Jesus means that we are to pray in the context of who Jesus is and our relationship with him. It's not just any name that we pray in. It is the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our King. He is our master. His name is the name above all names and is not a name to be taken lightly at all. But he's also our friend, our brother, who loves us enough to die for us. And so when we pray for things according to his name, we will be conscious of his will. We will be reminded of his teachings. We will understand his his goals and his purposes. To pray in Jesus' name ultimately is to pray for those things that Jesus wants. It's to pray the kinds of prayers that Jesus prayed. And when we pray for what Jesus wants, we will certainly receive them, just as Jesus promised. In fact, Jesus even goes on to to strengthen the encouragement in the next couple of verses in 26 and 27. He says, In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus is telling them that after the resurrection, he won't be asking things from the Father for them anymore. Uh, They'll be cutting out the middleman and they will be able to go directly to God the Father. And they can do this because God the Father himself will love them and love us. And it's not just that Jesus loves us and that somehow now the, the Father will be good to us on account of Jesus. No. The Father feels his own affection for us. The Father feels his own love for us and care for us. The Father doesn't just listen to our prayers because Jesus loves us. No, the Father himself loves us. And because of his own love for us, he, God the Father, loves to hear us when we pray and loves to answer when we ask him for things. Now, how can this not captivate you? Jesus is saying that because I am going, the very God who created the universe and even now holds every atom in its place will be ready to hear you whenever you pour out your heart to him in prayer. Just let that sink in for a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus, God loves to hear you pray. And God loves to give you every good thing because He loves you. What a privilege. And what a colossal tragedy if we fail to make the most of it. I think I'm really beginning to understand what Jesus means when He says that it is for our good that He goes. But Jesus has one more thing to teach us tonight, as if those first two things weren't enough. has just one last thing. After having heard all of this explanation from Jesus, it seems that the disciples now feel like they have some clarity. They feel like Jesus has stopped telling them riddles and now they can understand what he's saying. And so they say so in verses 29 and 30. But Jesus responds with a fair bit of scepticism in verses 31 and 32. They may very well believe that Jesus is come from God, but sadly that is not going to prevent them from deserting Jesus in the days ahead. Jesus predicts here that they will abandon him when the going gets tough. And very sadly, once again, his prediction is perfect and that's exactly what will happen. But the trouble of the next few days is just the beginning, says Jesus. Uh, Verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is not slow to remind the disciples that they will have trouble in the world, just as he began the chapter reminding them. Jesus is not very interested in just kind of handing out rose-coloured glasses to his disciples to wear. He wants them to know what lies ahead and trouble is what lies ahead whilst they remain in the world. But at the same time whilst they remain in the world, they will also remain in Jesus, he says. Almost you could say like the way that Branches remain in a vine. Disciples of Jesus belong to Christ so profoundly that they can be said to be in Christ. And as long as they remain in Christ, they will know peace, even in the midst of their troubles. And they can know that peace here in verse 33 because Christ is ultimately victorious over the world, victorious over his enemies, victorious over all those who are opposed to him. The world that rejoices in the death of Jesus is the very same world that will be overcome by Jesus in his death. And so to Jesus belongs the victory. And if you're in Jesus, then you're in his victory. And if you're in his victory, then his peace is in you, says Jesus. But this is something I think that is quite unique about being a disciple of Jesus. Because here Jesus says that a disciple of Jesus is simultaneously in the world and in Christ. And because they are in the world, they will know trouble, warns Jesus. But because they are in Christ, they will know peace, comforts Jesus. But both of these things are true And both of these things are true at the same time. Many people would say that uh, peace is what comes when the, the trouble is over, but not Jesus. He says, you will have both and you will have them both simultaneously. You are both in the world and in Jesus and therefore trouble and peace are both part of the experience of a disciple of Jesus. In other words... Jesus does not tie peace to our circumstances. The disciple of Jesus finds peace in this world, in things much more solid than the circumstances of our lives. Things like the victory of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Followers of Jesus don't find peace necessarily by Somehow changing the circumstances of our life, or even by trying to ride out the troubles that we face. Instead, says Jesus, followers of Him look for and even find peace in the midst of those troubles. This is good news. This is really good news. Trouble is a feature of our lives. Sometimes the trouble we experience uh, simply comes from living in a broken world whilst it waits for its healing. Of course, our world is beautiful in so many ways, but the world is also hard and sad and unforgiving and we're cut by its sharp edges, we're wounded by the disappointments it produces. And we who are disciples of Jesus also face the trouble that comes from being a disciple of Jesus. No servant is greater than his master. If they hated Jesus, they will hate us also. Most Christians in most places and at most times have had to be ready to preach, pray or die at a moment's notice. Our situation here, our situation of being living in a, in a peaceful and prosperous and free society where we can meet in safety and where we can proclaim Jesus without fear of, of serious persecution or, or, or injury, uh, these things are the exception, not the rule. And even these things in our country, even in a country like Australia, are beginning to turn. But because we do experience both peace and trouble simultaneously, uh, to come back to our first point, the gift of the Holy Spirit becomes all that much more important, doesn't it? Because after all, who reminds us of the victory that Jesus has won? Who reminds us of the peace that we already have? Who reminds us that the world cannot cause us pain beyond the power of Jesus to control? Who reminds us that the world cannot wound us beyond the power of Jesus to heal? Who reminds us that the world cannot oppose us and win? Who reminds us that there is a peace that banishes all anxieties from our hearts? A peace that grows out of prayer. A peace that transcends understanding. A peace that guards our hearts and our minds. And a peace that is found in one place and one place only. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Holy Spirit does. He reminds us of all these things. And of course, all of a sudden, just as we learned in our second point, how important is being able to bring all of our cares and our worries to God the Father in prayer, knowing that He loves us And he hears us and he loves to answer us. How important to enjoying the peace of Christ in all of our trouble is it to know that God loves us and listens to our prayers and that we can go to the Father directly. And yet it is Jesus' risen life that makes all of this possible, which is why we pray in his name. And so as surprising it is, is to say, It is good that Jesus goes. We are better off without Jesus. Life after Jesus is good. Because when he goes, not only do we receive him back in resurrection victory, he also brings us the Holy Spirit. He brings us direct access to God the Father He strengthens us and gives us peace in all of our troubles and he gives us a joy that can never be taken away. It is good that Jesus goes when he gives us all of these things. But just one last thought. One of the things that I love about these verses is the way they show us that actually The disciples are going to go astray. But the purposes of Jesus will never go astray. Not one single centimetre. And that's the way it is in our lives too. The purposes of Christ in our day and in our world do not depend on us getting everything right. And that is a great relief. They depend instead Upon what our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is doing in this world. And so these are just beautiful verses, aren't they? They remind us again how good it is to be a disciple of Jesus, how patient and tender Jesus is with his disciples, even in the face of his own pain. trouble, how well he knows us in all of our weaknesses and all of our failures, and yet he so thoroughly provides for all of our needs. That is the kind of master Jesus is, and that is the joy of following him. I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to rejoice in. You have given us a joy that can never be taken away, a joy that those who don't know Jesus cannot enjoy, and surely, Lord, that is the best reason of all to warn the people around us to know Jesus. But for those of us who do know him, Lord, this is your gift to us. Lord, we thank you for the the victory of Jesus that can never be taken away from him. And so so too our joy can never be taken away from us. Lord, even in the midst of all the troubles that life throws at us, we thank you that this joy is always in our hearts because we are always in Jesus. And for all this, we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, who is even now at your side. Amen.